This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for you about can openers. This is a favorite of mine. Um, Me too. I really enjoy it on a lot of levels about just can openers can encompass so much. (laughs) Um, And I learned since we did this one, uh, I don't know how to work most of them. (laughs) Okay. Uh Uh-huh. I have a story behind this, uh, but yes, we are talking about can openers. Uh, any reason that you had can openers on your mind? Um, I was just kind of going through the archive, and it seems like a fun one. Um, it's from June of 2018. I didn't. Re- it feels much fresher in my mind than that. Mm-hmm. It feels like only yesterday that we were struggling with that can of uh, uh, corned beef, and that I was painstakingly writing out the 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 physical description of how a can works <laughs> so <laughs> that's i've said it before i'll say it again one of my very favorite pictures we've ever taken together <laughs> was when <laughs> our, our at the time social media person allison who's amazing mm-hmm. uh was like let's film you try to open this corned beef thing and it took 12 minutes and uh, there's a very funny picture where you're looking into the camera holding a knife and I'm just laughing unaware of the danger present. It's really good. Uh, yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, that was that was that was epic. Um <laughs> it was. I really. and and this is all bringing back to me the fact that, Annie, I have failed you. I still have not given you one of these easy open can openers that just pops the seal. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my dude, that I. Uh, well, 
As I told you, I really could use it. Apparently. I, I recently um, had to, I was house-sitting for a friend, um, and said friend was very kind and was like, provided me with a lot of food and things. Aww, and I uh-huh. um, was able to figure out most of their kitchen without problem. Okay. But the issue came when I needed <laughs> the can opener. Okay. And I kid you not, I couldn't even recognize what the can opener, when I eventually was like, I think this might be the can opener. I didn't, like, I think I had passed that thing over several times. It didn't oh, look like a can opener to me. Okay. It was one of the styles that you're not used to. Sure. Yes. And I almost was like, <laughs> I'm going to have to text her and ask her. Do you have a can opener? How does it work? (laughs) It was a mess. And it was a poorly timed mess because I had some friends (laughs) over and we were cooking something and we really needed what was in the can. Yeah. And in a timely manner. Oh, well, I'm I'm glad. Yeah. It was very funny, though. I was like, I just don't know how to work this thing. And one of my friends eventually figured it out. I think she had to Google it. That's great. Yeah. Openers are complicated. They are. They they are. I I myself had to I I'm in like a kind of like comedically hilarious uh housing and car situation right now where my car isn't working and I'm in this temporary home. I it, it's all about to work out, I swear, but uh but yeah, I had to DoorDash a can opener so that I could continue <laughs> cooking dinner the other night. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, well, the next step can just wait for uh, uh, 20 to 37 minutes, I guess. That's going to be <laughs> it's going to be absolutely fine. Um. <laughs> uh, struggle is real. Um, uh, apparently, I've, all of my Googling didn't come up with any particularly striking can opener news. Uh, that that was not unexpected. But um, but apparently there's there's a can opener thing on the show Suits. I haven't, oh. I haven't watched that show. I don't know. No, me either. But I am curious. Yeah. I feel like can openers. <laughs> can openers, you have your one that you know, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. I just. And then when it doesn't work, it is a, a big problem. <laughs> it's a whole can of worms. It's a. A. <laughs> anyway. <so. laughs> Yeah. No. Uh, maybe maybe we should perhaps allow uh, former Annie and Lauren to take it away. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And okay, Annie, um well we're we're talking about can openers today. Yeah. Mostly can openers and cans, kind of. Kind of a little bit, yeah. A, a whole other episode on canned food yeah. will need to be forthcoming. Yeah, absolutely. But can opener technology is also really interesting, especially because the can opener wasn't invented for almost 50 years after cans were invented. Yeah. And um, I want to... Speaking of struggles being real. <laughs> speaking of struggles being real, <laughs> uh, Lauren and I... Engaged in a twelve-minute <laughs> battle to uh, open a can of corned beef a week ago, but maybe, and uh, 
it got it got us thinking. Because it was a can opener that eventually saved the day. It was. So you tried with the little key oh, thing. Right. It was one of those those rectangular kind of trapezoidal cans that has the little the little pull key on it that mm-hmm. hypothetically you're supposed to be able to like twist the key and and the there, there's a seam in the can that will kind of pop and and then you you can like twist the seam around the edge of the can and it will just release. That's not what happened to us. No. Um, it's one of my favorite things <laughs> is I, I – we have footage of this. We have video <laughs> footage of this. And I sped it up and it still took six minutes of us trying to open a can. It's uh, pretty embarrassing. And hilarious. And hopefully hilarious. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I laugh about it now. Now, it wasn't quite so funny at the time. Um, I I put, like, circus music in the background. It's very appropriate. Yeah. We will post it eventually somewhere. Absolutely. And if you saw on social the picture I posted for Lauren's birthday. Oh, yeah, that was green from, screen mm-hmm. with the knife. That's how we were desperate. Yeah. We were desperate. The knife didn't work, FYI. No. Nothing worked but the can opener, which is what we're talking about today. Yes. So, can opener. What is it? It is a device for opening cans. Well, there you go. Yep. It can be manual or electric. And I myself have never figured out how to use the electric variety. It's a running joke in my family. <laughs> I cannot do it. I. You, you, you put it on there and it doesn't do? It doesn't do. Huh. And then my mom comes over and she just does some kind of slightly different gesture and it works. I don't know if maybe I have a at my house an interesting one or I'm just – maybe I'm not meant to open cans. <laughs> I'm starting to think about my whole life. That's That's a possibility. I – you know, you can do without them and these are modern times of refrigeration, so – Yes, but in a in an apocalypse situation, I'm going to be oh, I'm going to be in some trouble. Well, you also wouldn't need the electrical one, so that's true. Okay, I'll be fine. Okay, um, in the UK or perhaps with Commonwealth English, a can opener might be called a tin opener. Sure, FYI. Mm-hmm. And from 1972 to now-ish, we have produced globally over three trillion cans. 64 million tons of those are aluminum. That's enough to go to the moon and back 500 times if they were stacked from end to end. Only about a quarter of those are recycled, and a non-recycled can can take up to 200 years to degrade. However, if you do recycle, an aluminum can can be back on the shelves in less than 60 days, and it takes 95% less energy to produce a can from recycled aluminum as opposed to aluminum ore. Um, Annually, billions of cans are sold around the world. Uh, so recycle kids. Especially there yes. I was gonna say especially certain materials are easier to recycle. Oh, yeah, yes. In in terms of aluminum cans, recycle those. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh canned food is made by manipulating the temperature and the pressure of the stuff inside the can. And you do this by heating it to the temperature at which water boils. Uh, that's two hundred and twelve Fahrenheit and or a hundred degrees Celsius or higher. Um, and at its most basic here, you're looking to, to place the food or liquid that you want to preserve in a receptacle that's airtight, except for the lid, which you place on top of the receptacle. And you put this in a hot water bath. 
And as the food or liquid in the can heats up, it'll expand, pushing any remaining gases out of the can. This creates an area of low pressure inside the receptacle as compared with the normal atmosphere outside of it, yeah? Mm -hmm. Uh, As physics attempts to equalize that pressure, um, you know, and and the volume of air molecules inside and outside of the receptacle, the, the greater pressure outside will push the lid down really hard. And if it's tight-fitting enough, the the differences in pressure will be enough to form an airtight or vacuum or hermetic seal. Mm -hmm. And yes, I said pushed down, not pulled down. Okay. Think of of flying in an airplane, okay? Can do. All right. If some Twilight Zone stuff happens and one of the windows on the plane pops out, William Shatner or or, uh, John Lithgow, take your pick, uh, isn't going to get sucked out of the airplane. He'd get, he'd get pushed out. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 and that's because at commercial flight heights in our atmosphere that the air is really thin. It's an area of low pressure compared with the relatively high pressure inside of the cabin. So if a window breaks, all that high-pressure air is going to rush outward, pushing other objects like William Shatner along with it. Similarly, the pressures involved in canning push the lid down. I see. Physics. I never worked on my Shatner impression, but now I'm reminded that I need to, I need to take some time and do that. Oh, okay. More homework. <laughs> yes. Good job. Very important. <laughs> and uh, this technology is really great because, well, A, um, the heat treatment generally gets the food hot enough for long enough to kill off any microbes that might be in there, and B, that airtight seal prevents any more other microbes from getting in. And because, as we've talked about before, food spoils when microbes start eating it before you get the chance to, canning food means that uh, the food won't spoil for a long, long time. Yeah, pretty long. I think that corned beef that defeated us, I I believe it was uh, 2022, and that was Best Buy. Yeah. So... After that, it's just, yeah. I, and there's there's uh, some stuff that we will not go into today about uh, dif- different types of nutrients can degrade due to the canning process, stuff like that. But in general, you know. Yeah. That's actually a topic I'd love to come back to because some listeners have written in and asked um, how accurate, how accurate could those nutrition labels possibly be for things that might degrade over time? Um, or like a bag of spinach. That was when packed in one place. Anyway, more homework. Um, <laughs> yes. Also, poor canning can lead to botulism. Oh, it certainly can. Um, and that's because uh, Clostridium botulinum, the uh, microbe that causes botulism, only thrives uh, without oxygen around. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if you can food improperly, if, if you don't heat it to the right temperature to uh, to get rid of stuff like that, then it can start thriving inside of the can and eventually uh, bloat out the can from the from the gases that it gives off as it eats your food. Um, it, it also gives off really really toxic uh, bot, 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 botulism toxins. So you don't want that. No, that's that's bad. So that's that's why if you ever see a can that's bloated outwards, don't eat that can. No. Yeah, and generally cook food that you get out of a can to an appropriate temperature before you start eating it. Usually that's around, oh goodness, like 122 to 165 degrees, depending on the components. Yes. Yeah. Food safety tip of the episode. Mm -hmm. Dented cans are usually fine as long as the dent is not along either the side seam or the uh, top or bottom seams. There you go. Seams, not seams. (laughs) Different thing. (laughs) Different thing entirely. 
Well, that is our, our primer of um, canning and the can opener, but we got some pretty interesting history for you. We do. Yeah. But first, we're going we're gonna to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. The tale of the can opener starts with Napoleon Bonaparte. What? Yeah. Huh. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've talked about Napoleon. Yeah. Hey, Napoleon. Yeah, hey. Uh, In 1795, as he was wont to do, Napoleon offered a prize to anyone who could figure out a way to preserve food for soldiers. Nicolas Appert got the prize money in the early 19th century, but his methods called not for tin cans, but glass jars that were corked and sealed with wax, then wrapped up and boiled. Appert also went on to publish a book, The Art of Preserving Animal and Vegetable Substances. And a fun aside. Yes. He was from the Champagne region of France, so the first glass he used, were they were champagne bottles sealed with a lime and cheese mixture that seems to have been effective. <laughs> Later, he did move on to wider-lipped jars, but I love, I love thinking about buying, like, canned corn, but it's in But champagne. it's in a champagne bottle? Mm-hmm. Finding ways to feed soldiers was a serious business. During the Seven Years' War of the 1750s, it's estimated half of British seamen died from malnutrition. Ooh. Yeah. In 1810, the same year that a pair won the prize money over in the United Kingdom, King George III granted a patent for the first iron and tin cans to an inventor named Peter Durand. 
Similar to a pear, Durand sealed food in the cans, submerged them in cold water before slowly bringing the temperature up to a boil, and then resealed them. It seems Durand was kind of interested in the fame of this whole thing. While it may have been his patent, the patent comes with this caveat, an invention communicated to him by a certain foreigner residing abroad. And that foreigner was Frenchman Philippe de Girard. Girard couldn't get the product patented in his own country because of some red tape, so he came to London to get it done. But he couldn't take it out himself because the two countries were at war. Oh, man. So Peter Durand was like, okay, I'll do it. Then Durand sold the patent to Brian Donkin for 1,000 pounds. England's first commercial canning company, Donkin Hall & Gamble, opened in 1813. Before going out, every can of food they produced spent a month at high temperatures as sort of a quality assurance, and they were numbered, too, so you could trace back where they came from. Check them, yeah. Yeah. And soldiers loved the canned food. There's even a cove in Chalet called Caleta Duncan, named because of the arriving crew's affinity for the canned food. Uh, I mean, when all you've got after that is like is like a salt beef and hardtack, then it's easy to see why. Oh, absolutely. A surgeon on a French ship wrote of the stuff, quote, forms a most excellent restorative to convalescence and would often on long voyages save the lives of many men who run into consumption tuberculosis, at sea for want of nourishment after acute diseases. My opinion, therefore, is that its adoption generally at sea would be a most desirable and laudable act. Ah. Mm-hmm. After trying over two-year-old canned veal, Sir Joseph Banks over at the Royal Society declared it to be in a, quote, perfect state of preservation and that Donkin's invention was one of the most important discoveries of the age we live in. A letter penned by an engineer in 1815 read, I gave visitors a round of English beef, which was cooked by Messrs. Duncan and Gamble two years and four months before, which, with a glass of wine, made no bad lunch. (laughs) It's kind of delightful. That is. They got a lot of letters, kind of fan letters. (laughs) By 1821, the order for Duncan's canned food was somewhere around 9,000 pounds. That same year, Donkin ended his relationship with the company and went on to develop the first paper-making machine. Um, and it seems he was genuinely just interested in inventing things. He wasn't in it for the fame or the money. He kind of was like, okay, I did that. Now okay, I'm going to go do this other one. thing. Yeah. Goodbye. I've already got a cove from that one. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll have to visit my cove. <laughs> um, these cans, though, they were very thick. And they weighed anywhere from 4 to 20 pounds, or about 2 to 9 kilos. Soldiers found they couldn't get them open unless they used a hammer and chisel, our very first pass at a can opener. (laughs) Or they would just throw the cans at things, like rocks. Yeah. Just bash them. Just bash them until, like, nope, there's the food. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it just go everywhere? I guess if that's all you got. I I guess you you, you form a technique. Yeah. Yeah. Man the tool maker. I bet a lot of people had a very specific technique. Oh, man, a certain kind of rock that you need to get. Yeah. certain shape. certain angle you angle. hit it at. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, <laughs> cans sometimes actually came with the instruction, quote, cut around at the top with the chisel and hammer. But Lauren and I, we used a knife like fools. <laughs> fools. 
But we weren't the only fools oh. because instructions on how to open a canister from Fortnum and Mason in 1849 catalog read, First, stab a hole with the butt end of the knife near the upper rim of the canister, capital C. Then, insert the blade as far as it will go. Draw the handle towards you, the claw resting towards the canister as a lever, when the blade will be found to cut through the tin with perfect ease. I Not, somehow doubt that. I, I somehow doubt it, too. I, and I can see that you doubted it because in the, ner- in the notes here, you, you said, D- draw the handle towards you, and then in parentheses, what? <laughs> With, like, four exclamation points, which definitely made me laugh out loud at my desk, which made everyone look at me. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, no, these, these things were, were made of, like, wrought iron lined with tin. Um, and, and that combination of metal could be almost a fifth of an inch thick. That's, that's, like, five millimeters. It's big. Yeah, that's nothing to sneeze at. No. And you can find in many a museum, but also online, pictures of these old-timey cans. And I, I, I like, read the, you know, five millimeters. I'm like, oh, that must be thick. But then when I saw the picture, I was like, oh. Like, oh. oh, that's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if our uh, can openers would have been able to put much S- of a dent in there. Certainly certainly not the dinky little one. Oh, oh. That- <laughs> Jeez. I'm still mad about this whole thing. Mad and tickled at the same time. I recently broke a, a can opener, a manual one. Uh-huh. It just... Came like apart. the the wheels went uh-huh. everywhere. I, oh man! Again, I'm not sure I'm meant to open cans. Um, How about the pull tabs? Do you do okay with those? Yeah, generally, I have broken off the tab many more than once. More than once. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> not only were these thick cans really tricky to open. At a measly six per hour, these cans were hard to produce. They were handmade. Mm-hmm. Improvements to speed things up didn't come along until 1846 with Henry Evans's process to make a can with a single motion, which brought production up to 60 cans an hour. Um, Alan Taylor patented a machine that produced thinner cans quicker in 1847, but we still had no better method for opening them. In 1851, John Gamble, now at the helm of the company left behind by Donkin, introduced a whole variety of canned foods at the Great Exhibition. Canned food was more popular than ever. Until, 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 until. <laughs> in 1852, an inspection of 306 cans of meat revealed only 42 had not putrefied. The Ooh. smell was so bad. The inspectors had to leave the room at one point, I think it was multiple times, for fresh air. And the stone floors where they were inspecting these cans had to be coated with chloride of lime. Some of the cans contained bits of heart, rotting tongues. Some of the meat was from diseased animals. They had ligaments, tendons, and an entire, quote, perfectly putrid kidney was found in one. Oh, wow. This prompted a nationwide inspection. Um, And this was in the U.K., Officers on the Plover tossed 1,570 pounds of canned food into the Bering Straits in 1853 after finding it in a, quote, pulpy, decayed, and putrid state. This all seemed to trace back to the 1845 winner of the Admiralty contract, Stefan Goldner. He'd won this contract because he was cheaper than everyone else, thanks to the cheap labor he employed and the corners that he cut. Despite a growing number of complaints, he was reawarded the contract with a higher demand for tinned meat in 1847 and again in 1850. Goldner started using bigger cans, but he did not cook them correctly. 
Some historians estimate over 600,000 pounds ended up getting thrown away, valued somewhere around 6,691 pounds. Whew. Yeah. Goldner was never allowed to provide food for the Navy again. And it took about 10 years for people to come back around to canned food. Yeah, this this was kind of like the event at which people were like, maybe not this invention. Yeah. Maybe never again this invention. It was, uh, I've read in several places the thing that almost killed canned food. <laughs> yeah. Um, Goldner also supplied the canned food for Sir John Franklin's doomed Arctic voyage and could have possibly played a role in its fate in 1847. Um, when the bodies of the crew were discovered, they had high levels of lead, which people attributed to lead leaking from the cans. Or from the, uh, from the soldering. Um, yeah. material at the at the rims of the cans, yeah. Yeah, and people were very scared and eager, not eager, but ready to blame canned food for Absolutely. This. However, more recent research suggests that it was more likely the lead piping in the ship. Oh. Yeah, probably well. wasn't the cans. Well, good. Good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good for canned food. And canned foods PR did recover with the help of some ads about its nutritional benefits and condensed milk became the first mass-produced canned food item. And this kind of brings us to some more can opener innovations because, again, we really don't have a good way to open these things yet. Nope. Nope. But first, we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. In the U.S., canned items like oysters and meats hit the shelves around 1825. 
But canned foods didn't really take off until the Civil War. Again, we've got to feed those soldiers. And the demand went up by six times. Now, Ezra Warner was the first to answer the call for a better can opener with a U.S. patent for one in 1858. Better. Better. (laughs) As in not a hammer and chisel or a knife. (laughs) Heavy scare quotes. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, it would be labeled as a bayonet and sickle, if that gives you any idea. Uh, It does kind of look like a combination of those two things. A blade would penetrate into the top of the can, prevented from going too deep by this kind of guard thing. And then the sickle part, this curved blade, would cut around the top sort of like a saw, which left a very not-safe jagged edge. And side note, another story of my my tale with my bad luck with cans— um, I sliced the dickens out of my head with the edge of a can when I was two years old, and it's one of my first memories. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Had to go to the hospital. I, I assume it wasn't a can opened by one of these things, but nonetheless. Could have been. Oh. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Mysteries of Annie's history. <laughs> Warner's design never really took off outside of for soldiers in the Civil War or in grocery stores where grocers would open cans for customers to, to take, take home. home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, uh, and I want to mention here that that Louis Pasteur hadn't patented his process of pasteurization, of of heating foods or drinks to to an appropriate temperature to kill off microorganisms up until this point in history. Uh, That that came in 1865. Mm -hmm. So this whole time, um, this heating of foods to make them safer was lucky. Wow. It was lucky that, like, the ceiling works this way. And so, therefore, uh, the food got cooked, killed off bacteria. Congrats, guys. Yeah, congrats. You you did a thing. You did. (laughs) Perhaps you didn't understand why, but you did it. Mm -hmm. A year later, in 1866, Lauren and I's arch nemesis can opener was invented by Jay Osterholt. (laughs) No thanks to you, sir. It was a tin can with a key opener. And yes, you can still find these, particularly with canned meats. Mm -hmm. I have been meaning to look up a video of how it should work because... (laughs) I'm still at a loss for yeah. what went wrong. Me too. I'm like, were we not pulling hard enough? Like, I think we both have. Was it a matter of strength? Surprising arm strength. I don't know. Is the mm. can faulty? Many questions. Um, the one, the can opener that's most familiar, probably for most of us, outside of the electric one, came about in 1870, courtesy of one William Lyman. He patented a can opener that used a rotary cutter method. But it did look a bit different than what you'd find today. It was just a a wheel that went around the can's edge, just cutting away as it did. The design was refined in the 1920s by the Star Can Company. Star Can Company. Yes. And Charles Arthur Bunker, who added the wheel's serrated edges. Before that, though, people lost a lot of fingers with the so-called bully beef can opener. And this thing looked kind of like a wrench, but with blades. Yeah, this this was like the fun update to that bayonet uh, yeah. style can opener. <laughs> a little fun. bit safer. But a little. Not for your fingers. The name is because a lot of the canned foods in the army were tend meats, and these can openers were what soldiers used during World War One to get to that stuff. Um, I, I recommend looking at pictures of that as well because it's like. Yeah, a lot of them were were. were a, terrifying looking, but yes. B, decorated to look like little bulls with little, like, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, it's the, you're opening it with, like, the bull's jaw, I guess. Right. Yeah. Or kinda, horns. Yeah. I'm not, it's 
It's interesting. Fanciful. Yeah. For something that might take off a finger. Absolutely. The first known Heinz baked beans can traces back to 1895 from an old recipe out of Boston. And these cans made their way over to London in 1901 and have since become part of the English breakfast. The UK is the number one consumer of baked beans and the US isn't even in the top 10. I just thought that was a little... Interesting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. The uh, double seaming of cans helped speed the process of making them along in 1896. And this is a type of seal along along the lid of the can, and it's still in use today, which is fascinating to me. Um, okay, so, so when the lid is fitted on, the edge of the lid and the lip of the can's cylinder, like the wall of the yeah. can, yeah, are folded around each other and then crimped together. And this can create that airtight seal that you're looking for. And would, would you guys go on a visual journey with me on this audio podcast? Absolutely. Because the, the the way that it's designed is is super fascinating. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it's just really clean design from a design standpoint. Okay, so picture what's going on in this fold. It's like if you took if you took a candy cane, mm-hmm. okay, and pointed pointed it so that the crook is facing left. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. The straight edge of the cane is the wall of the can, and the crook is this little extra bit of metal that's going to help form the seal. Okay. All right. Yep. Now, take a question mark. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is fun. <laughs> and, and and rotate it 90 degrees counterclockwise. Okay. All right. So so that the crook is kind of facing down and and like the the the, the flat the flat bit is parallel to oh. the to the ground. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. Okay. The, the the straight edge of the mark is is the lid of the can. Okay. Okay. And the crook of the question mark is a little extra bit that's also going to help form the seal. So you fit the crook of the candy cane into the crook of the question mark. Mm-hmm. And voila. Wow. Press, press them together and that's it. That was amazing, Lauren. I don't, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm shocked that it worked. I just went on this journey <laughs> in my head. It was wonderful. <laughs> I was in it all the way. <laughs> So yeah, it, it's it's just a, it's a really ingenious way of of just making it making it do. Yeah, I add a little bit of glue or, or rubber seal in there, and and um, it's very effective. Centuries old. Mm-hmm. Century. Century plus. old. Yeah. <laughs> In 1931, the electric can opener entered the market. The company behind it, the Bucher Clancy Company, faced a lawsuit from the Star Can Opener, but they changed their design enough that they were able to get away with it. It took 25 years before they became practical, uh, though, thanks to a father and daughter duo that came up, came up with one in their garage that could freestand on the kitchen counter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first canned beer, Kruger Cream Ale, out of Virginia, went on sale in 1935. Several can openers were developed for soldiers during World War II. Um, A lot of them were more compact, perhaps your Swiss Army knife of multiple uses can opener. Andy Warhol's painting of 32 soup cans hits the art scene in 1962. In 1963, Emmy Rays invented the easy-open aluminum can top, especially useful for canned drinks. Before that, you had to use a tool that left a triangle hole in the top of cans to get to your drink. Yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd make one little one little punch on one side of the of the lid and another little punch on the other, so that you aren't yeah. gonna get the the um, the liquid pressure stopping right. you from pouring it out. I feel like I've been to perhaps a hipster. Esque restaurant where oh, they still, that still do uses that. It? I yeah. think so. 
I've definitely drank out of a can like that before. Um, um, in the 1960s, we saw patents for machines that would unfold that that folded seal mm-hmm. of a tin can, but they took a lot of energy, and that's were more of an industrial thing than a home use kind of object. In the 80s, people were experimenting with can openers that that acted on the cylinder wall of the can rather than on the lid. Mm-hmm. Um, though that still left a sharp edge and like wasn't necessarily easier right. than attacking the lid. <laughs> but in 1993, we finally saw a patent for the safety can opener, which is my favorite type of can opener. Okay. All right. So rather than cutting through the wall of the can or the lid of the can, it cuts through the outermost layer of that folded seam, mm-hmm. which which is just a little piece of the lid. So you just you just cut through the outermost layer of that, and uh, and the way that the, the way that it works, it also like bends the metal out a little bit. So so you just you just cut around the seam of the of, of the lid oh. rather than the actual huh. lid itself, and it just pops right off. Wow! Boop, and then it can and you can just kind of pop it right back on again. Just boop. No, no sharp edges. Man, I've never heard of this. Oh, oh man. Okay. That's probably what I need. I'm gonna go get you one like right after this podcast. <laughs> you pro- apparently need one very badly. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> so. Canned food got a boost after the recession in the U.S. in 2009, about 11 percent increase, and there was a lot of talk before that of canned food must going to be a dying industry. It's going to be replaced by um, frozen food or just like bagged, bagged food. Mm-hmm. Um, but people in the canned food industry seem pretty confident that it's sticking around. Yeah, I would. I, and I would agree. Yeah. And now we have ways to get to the food inside the can <laughs> thanks to the can opener. Yay! Yes. So that is our that, our that our is look the at story. the yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, story of the can opener. The story of the can opener. It is a very interesting one. I I just love it. Took us that long to <laughs> to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And I mean, you and I still <laughs> still struggle, me more so than you, but I, I wouldn't call what I do in that video succeeding with flying colors, so <laughs> no one succeeded in that video except for the can of corn <laughs> it, it was it was the winner that day. Yeah. Uh, the, we just left feeling very humbled, perhaps. <laughs> yes. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode on the can opener. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I will say as like an addendum to our outline there, um, there was another boom in canned food sales early in the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and it's remained sales have remained higher than they were in the years leading up to that. Um, experts cite the high prices of fresh foods. Um, and also people just being busy and kind of like meetings, just like, oh, no, that's that's close enough. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for people who have been listening to this show, I mean, you know, I had my whole refrigerator problem. I had mm-hmm. to get real creative. If you didn't want to, like, go to the grocery store too often during the pandemic, yeah, yeah. then you just get a lot more camp Shel- Shelf-stable stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. That makes sense. I would love to hear from listeners, though. Uh your can opener preferences, uh, <laughs> difficulties. Let's let's share our difficulties yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a safe space. (laughs) It is. (laughs) And I'm just curious. Um, (laughs) Well, if you want to send those difficulties to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.